Thank you, Dr. Finney. We appreciate you so much and your family. We're so thankful God's brought you to us. If you have a visitor slip or uh, a prayer request, if you'd like to pass that in, we would love to collect it and we'll pray for you this week. And we will uh, pick up in Romans 7. Romans 7 verses 21 through 24 will be our target this morning as we are moving through the book of Romans slowly and by design that way. And, um, you know, just was thinking about this struggle and the Apostle Paul writing of this struggle that he faced personally. And it just led me to a question, how can I, how can I live a triumphant Christian life? What does a victorious Christian life look like for me? Um, how can my life mirror the picture of the godly man in Psalm 1? who doesn't walk according to the counsel of this world, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his delights in the law of the Lord. And then that beautiful expression, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. How can my life look like that? When I struggle every day, with various things. Every true believer longs for that description in their life. Every true believer longs for this to be the banner over their life, God's blessing and, and, and favor. But this isn't always the picture of the believer's life. And that's why I think Romans 7 is so important, the struggle we all face. I, I, I'm not aware, unaware that we gather together and it's like, wow, it took every ounce of strength in me to get here this week is I've been pulled this way and that way and I'm challenged and I'm struggling and to hold passages up like Romans 7 and they give hope to us the the Psalms also capture a full spectrum of struggles I just several came to my mind David wrote in Psalm 27 I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living he said as he was in the throes of a crisis others may forget me but my but the Lord won't forget me my mother and my father may forsake me but the Lord won't that's a bad week in Psalm 51 David said I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me Oh, no, not David. He's the sweet singer of Israel. He wrote half the Psalms. He didn't have struggles like that. Well, we know he did. And they're encased in the canon of Scripture for our learning and encouragement. Psalm 137, the psalmist said in exile, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They were forced to sing and to play their instruments while in exile. Psalm 142 was a psalm written in a cave. That wasn't a vacation spot. That was a hiding place. And the psalmist wrote, My spirit, David, my spirit faints within me. You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Can you hear him go on and on and on with a list of struggles but he calls out to the Lord I cry to you O Lord I say you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living attend to my cry for I'm brought very low deliver me from my persecutors 
for they are too strong for me. Lord, unless you save me, I'm not going to make it. So, listening to some teaching today, you would think that suffering is not a part of the Christian experience. Struggle is not a part of the Christian experience. And if you have a struggle, you just need to repent. Well, that may be true. You, need to re- you may need to repent. But having struggles in the Christian life, that's the Christian experience. And the growth comes in the valleys. That doesn't preach well. Nobody wants to hear that. But that, that's the Bible. <laughs> and so we cast our anchor regularly upon the rock of Jesus Christ and he will hold us. If you have problems, you often hear you must have done something wrong. If you struggle with temptation to sin, then, then something strange has happened to you. This brings us back to Romans 7. This is a chapter that captures really the terrain of the Christian experience. What is Paul describing in Romans 7? Several translations, several interpretations here. He's describing someone who's lost, which I emphatically disagree with. He speaks because, because Paul is speaking of the law of God, the word of God in a way a lost person would not. Oh, how I love your law, he says. He's arguing for the goodness and the spirituality of God's law and God's ways. He says in verse 14, for you know that the law is spiritual. Verse 16, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good because it's a schoolmaster that leads me to Christ and shows me the righteous mind of God. In verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Verse 25, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. I think another reason why I feel like this is not describing a lost person is because of all the I's and the me's and the my's. About 40 of them in Romans 7, where Paul is speaking autobiographically about his struggle in the Christian life. Not in the BC, not as Saul of Tarsus, but as as the Apostle Paul. The second interpretation is... um, This is a carnal Christian. Basically, stop living in Romans 7 and get on to Romans 8 and the victory that is there in Christ. Believers in Jesus indeed have a sinful nature and are not able to have victory apart from the Holy Spirit. We affirm that. The carnal Christian is really, I think, a convenient and dangerous category. Would anybody here be satisfied with, you know, I'm, I'm in Christ and I'm okay living a carnal life. That's what I hate about the carnal Christian whatever. In fact, I don't, I don't even want to create the category. The only message to somebody who's living a carnal life is repent. And if you have satisfaction living your life in opposition to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and in defiance to His Word, you don't have biblical assurance. I don't care what you did as a child, as a teenager. I don't care what happened at youth camp or on your grandmother's knee. Biblical assurance is not a one-time event in the past. It's an ongoing picture. I'm believing, I'm trusting, I'm savoring the Lord Jesus Christ now. I'm believing in Him now. He's the Lord of my life now. I hate carnal Christianity conversations. 
It's like it creates a third category that's not there. And worse still, it creates a two-stage Christianity. And bless their hearts, I know when, when people say, well, you know, I received Jesus as my Savior, and then sometime later I received him as my Lord. It's really bad theologically. Because you cannot receive Jesus for what he's not. And one thing that is for sure is he is Savior and he's Lord. And when you receive him, you receive him as both, or you receive him... Not at all. Amen. So, some think he's talking about the carnal Christian. I think you know what I think of that. I think it's referring to a believer. I think Paul was saying, this is Christian experience. Not that we're satisfied living in the, in the valleys. Not, not that we're dismissing when we need to do battle with our sin. I think that's the whole point. The Christian life is a battle. To be a Christian is to be a fighter, not with one another, not with other people, not with flesh and blood, but we're to battle sin within until Christ reigns supreme in our heart. We're not to redefine it. We're not to excuse it away. We're, Lord, this is in me and I hate it. I did it last week and I've done it this week. I did it last year and I'm doing it this year. I did it a decade ago, Lord, and I, I find it drags so stubbornly in my life. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus Christ. And when we feel that, and when we're experiencing that, we're to run to him, friends. Run to the Savior. He understands. He knows. So let me put my thoughts in three points this morning. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to battle against our sin. Look at verse 21 and 22. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So I want to do right, but I'm finding what I want to do right. I'm doing the opposite of what I think is right. How can that be? When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. What kind of evil? What kind of evil? How about your motivations? How about our motivations? I want to give, but I want to be recognized. I want to help, but I saw how it would be for my benefit. I wanted to serve, but I also wanted to be noticed. Our motivations quickly can go haywire. I love the statement by Ruth Harms Calkin in a little poem called, I Wonder. You know, Lord, how I serve you, how with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's Bible study. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at the Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. Yeah, evil's close by with our motivations. Also with our flesh. We have a flesh, even though redeemed as the believer in Jesus Christ, we're redeemed, we're in a, in a, in a right standing with God, we've been justified by faith, we have a, a sinful nature. We have often called flesh. Paul talks about that in Galatians 5 and would point you there. Galatians 5, 
And picking up in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Galatians 5, 19, they're evident. So he's talking about them among the human experience. There's sexual immorality, there's impurity, sensuality. So there's sexual sins, that's a, a, a pursuit or a desire of the flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, all the things that make life miserable, that's part of the flesh. Uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like, this is part of the flesh. So we all have stories, we all have pasts, we all have inclinations towards certain sins that come really easily to us. We find they rear their ugly head, but as believers, we're called to put that off and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in newness of life. With this flesh, this evil close at hand, Paul's talking about. I want to do right, but I'm dealing with bad motivations so many times. My heart is not right. I want to do right, but I'm dealing with a, a flesh, a sin nature, where, you know, I thought as a Christian, it, I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. And that's where the disillusionment comes in, because so many people have been told, come to Jesus Christ, and all your problems will be solved. And then it's Monday. Somebody lied. I don't want to minimize the glory of his salvation. I don't want to minimize our standing in him. I, want, I don't want to downplay. There's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ and what it means to truly be forgiven. But we have flesh, and a, a, a flesh nature, a sin nature. And add to these that Paul mentioned in Galatians 5, critical spirit, selfishness, fear of man, pride, paralyzed by past failures, spiritual retirement. By the way, there's no spiritual retirement. Oh, guard your heart against that. Well, I served years ago, and now I'm just going to coast into the finish line. There's, you won't find that in Scripture. So we... As we look at this conversation, as this struggle, evil is near, my flesh, my motivations. And so when we, we think about, you know, living the Christian life, when I'm dealing with, I want to do right, but I'm struggling with what is wrong, why is this vital truth missed by so many? And you see them for a season, then they're gone. They seem excited for a moment, then they go away. They walk away. That's not uncommon. I mean, John 6 records that Jesus taught hard things and many walked away from him. And we've made reference to the, him asking Peter, Why, will you also go away? Where, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternity. That's the mark of a true believer. So why is this truth missed by many? I think in American culture anyway, it rides on three things. One is this silver bullet mentality. This silver bullet mentality. We're, we, we're in a culture that prizes convenience and pragmatism. We love silver bullet solutions. They're simple. We love to fix things and, and pragmatism carries the day. I want a quick fix to my spiritual life and if I can't get it, I'm going to move on to something else. And so this has created in the church, in American culture anyway, and I think it's probably common across the grid, 
is this idea that if I can just get the silver bullet, then all my problems are going to be solved and there's no more Romans 7 for me, I'll tell you. Because I went to the conference. I listened to the podcast. I bought the book. I went to the training seminar. I've been going to church all my life. I went on the retreat. I went for counseling. But for those who are looking for a silver bullet, there's always the conjunction, but I found myself back in Romans 7. And I was wanting to do right only to find evil's close at hand. How easily I'm derailed. How easily I'm sent off mission because of these things. In essence, the, the answer to religious silver bullets is the same Namely, my life never changed and I never got what I wanted, so therefore Jesus doesn't work. He doesn't work. Silver bullet mentality. Don't have a silver bullet mentality. The Christian life is not a silver bullet. It's not just, it's not a situation where you add water and it's going to be what you want. Or put a quarter in a slot. It's a battle. I don't want a battle. You don't have a choice. That's what this world is. From the fall to this very moment, it's a battle. And who wins? God wins. That's one of the benefits of the Bible is you read the end and you know who wins. So whose side do you want to be on? I want to be on his side. Because if you're not, you're a loser forever. Romans, settles, Romans 7 settles once and for all that the Christian life is a battle and that the battle is being waged in your heart and in mine and in this world around us. And unless the Word of God cleanses us, our ideas of purity are man-made and not from the Lord, and they will not last. And along with the silver bullet, avoid the dog and pony shows. The, the cheap Christianized gimmicks. I, let me just throw one out. I remember years ago going into a Christian bookstore and right by the register they had New Testaments, breathments. It's one after the other. No dog and pony shows. No silver bullet mentality. Abide in Christ, friends. Abide in Christ. Let His Word abide in you. And abide in him. That's the only thing he promised that would bring forth fruit that remains. A a second problem is experience over truth. The church is filled with people who want an experience over being grounded, over, over against being grounded in the truth. Another way to avoid struggle in the Christian life is looking for the next new spiritual experience. Life becomes routine. Maybe you feel like you're entering into the the doldrums and you begin to question things. You begin to question the commitments of your life. This seems so ordinary. This seems so usual. And you begin to question things. I need a new experience. I need a... No. You need to look up. You need to grow up. And you need to serve the Lord. 
right where you are until he leads you somewhere else. You're not driven by your experiences or your feelings. And I'm not minimizing feelings. There ought to be a wonderful passion when we, when we seek the Lord and serve the Lord. In fact, that's the only objective standard I know of in Scripture to guide a calling in, into anything, is you have a passion and desire to do it for God's glory. But I'm talking about just dismissing things that are solid for things that are fleeting. Beware of allowing your emotions to blow you here and there by every wind of doctrine in this world. And finally, some Christians, professing Christians, just they want to escape reality. Life gets hard, they try to, and, and try to escape. Instead of embracing the war within, the struggles without, they check out. What do I mean? Well, tragedy comes, failure comes, embarrassment comes, shame comes, and rather than running to the means of grace that God has given to His people, they hide or they escape. They neglect Scripture. They stop meaningful prayer. They neglect the assembling of themselves. I could point to people right now in this room who have gone through profound embarrassment, devastating experiences that were public. And the temptation is that what I need to do is just hide out for a little while, let things blow over, and then I'll kind of recongregate with the church. That's suicide. Satan's, a, 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 Satan's assassin plot for you and for me is to get you alone and beat the life out of you. The local church is God's remedy against that assassin's plot. I'll just, you know, I'll just, you know, visit another, another church. And by the way, I know God calls people from one church to the other. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. Our covenant says when you're called away, tell us, we want to pray for you. We want to send you away. And God, God bless you, whether it's in this area or in another, another state. But I'm convinced some people, if, you, if they lived long enough, would be a member of every church in this parish. If they lived long enough. They can't stay put. Are you aware of the blessings we miss because we bail? We don't, we don't establish roots. We're here and then here. I'm not fed over here. And then they go over here. I don't like this over, about this church. I'm going to come over here. Given enough time, they'd make the circuit. But the weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our warfare will sustain us. The sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of Scripture. King David tried to escape for nine months. Do you remember when he was trying to escape reality? For nine months, he had committed adultery and murder. And for nine months, and then God dispatched Nathan, the prophet, and came to David and confronted him in his sin. He was living on a spiritual ice float. And he was living delusional that somehow he could live in the wake of failure, adulterous and murderous failure. And God sent Nathan. He said, you're the man. And what flowed out of that is Psalm 51, his confession to the Lord. And when he was hiding out and escaping, read Psalm 32, my bones were, were rotting away. 
my flesh. He just became a stick of a person, a hollow of a shell. Like Jacob with the angel in Genesis 32, we need to wrestle with the angel and embrace him until he blesses us. Where are we going to go? He clung to him, Jacob did, until he blessed him. And so when we go into the valleys, the difficult times, the struggle with sin, no matter the embarrassment, no matter the, the, sh- the personal shame, no matter what, we're going to run to Christ in the means of grace He's given to us. Run to Him in prayer. I will follow Job's example and I will worship God even though the slats have been cut out of my life. I will search the Scripture because it is life to me. I will lean on my brothers and sisters in Christ, not alienate myself from them. I will walk by faith and in hope because I'm in Jesus Christ. Notice secondly, we will never achieve victory in our own strength. We need the Lord in His grace and His word. Paul said in verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law another tendency, another behavior, waging war against the law in my mind. This is a conflicted man. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul's struggle reminds us that we are not as strong as we think we are. The spirit of the age boasts about what man can do. Look what man can do. Space travel, medical advancement, technological developments, engineering feats that blow the mind. I was reminded of that this week as I had to uh, go to Florida for a family need. And I went over the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, which is so much a part of my early childhood. I I grew up in Tampa Bay in the Gulf of Mexico. My father had us out there in our boat often. And I remember going, uh, just see, going over this Sunshine Skyway Bridge with spans that are 1,100 feet long, uh, a, a, a bridge that's 180 f- feet off the ground, this massive structure, and I'm thinking, wow, what an engineering feat. That's small compared to these other projects, let alone going to the moon. Look what man can do. These achievements breed a human self-sufficiency that believes with enough energy, with enough skills, with enough resources and grit, we can solve our problems by ourselves. And if we carry that over into the Christian life, we begin to think, you know, I got this. I got it. I can do it. I can live this life. I can, I can because I believe I can. The Apostle Peter thought that as well. I will never deny you, and I don't mind bringing this up again with Romans 7 because I think of Peter. I will never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will have denied me three times. And he did. And Peter cursed. And then he wept, and he heard the rooster crow, and he saw the penetrating gaze of his Savior across the patio. And we know what that's like. If you've walked with the Lord, the disappointment that comes when sin, and we yield to it. In Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter after his boast, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands to have you 
How would you like Jesus to say that about you? Satan demands to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. I don't want to be sifted like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Jesus said to Peter. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. He's, con- he's demanded permission for you, but I'm praying for you. One of the glorious verses of the New Testament is that Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, the book of Hebrews says that he forever lives to make intercession for us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I have hope for victory in my life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rest in him. Our victories in the Christian life only prove the greatness of our Savior. Let's end there. Our victories in the Christian life only prove the greatness of our Savior. Notice what Paul says in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, that'll preach, won't it? We don't like to talk about being wretched. When's the last time you've ever said that about yourself? I'm not talking about some faint, um, you know, maybe half-hearted expression. I'm talking about really, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that I am. You know, John Newton used it in the most famous hymn in Christendom, to save a wretch like me. That means, this is someone who understands their sin, and this is spoken, not, again, not by the lost Saul of Tarsus, but by the Apostle Paul who was converted on the Damascus Road and was in the Lord's service. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? The answer, the great and awesome Jesus Christ. Our victories, even if we achieve them, are all nevertheless by the power and grace of God and are not of ourselves. No personal glory for our achievements. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we stand before the Lord, we will bring no boasting to heaven. Our victories are of God and we should give him glory now and we will on that day. In Revelation 4, let me just summarize. In Revelation 4, there's this wonderful scene in the throne room of heaven. And the elders are described Um, described in that chapter, I believe represent uh, the saints, the people of God, believers. And they lay their crowns before the throne of God saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. In that same passage, we read that the crowns are, are the elders' crowns, meaning that they represent their victories over sin and God's enemies but they take those crowns off and where do they place them? At the feet of the one who sits on the throne. The elders indicate that their victories were achieved not by themselves, but by the power of the Spirit of God that worked within them. Even our victories are God's alone for his glory. There's a reason why the Pilgrim's Progress has had the greatest impact on the English-speaking world than any other book other than the Bible. 
um, as we look at John Bunyan, who wrote this work, it's 1678, and the center character is Christian, and all of the trials and tribulations that he faces on his way to the celestial city. If you've not read the Christian's, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, I would urge you to read it. If you're into audiobooks, I'm confident you could find it. It would be worth your time. And so the book centers on that struggle of Christian, and he meets a number of different characters, and I close with this quote. I focused, Christian speaking, I focused on the fact that what God says is indeed best. It doesn't matter if all the men in the world are against it, So seeing that God prefers a tender conscience, seeing that those who make themselves fools for the kingdom of heaven are wisest, and that the poor man who who loves Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world who hates him. I turned to shame and said, depart, you who are an enemy to my salvation. Should I listen to your words, which are contrary to my sovereign Lord? What's the answer to that question? Never. No, indeed. We come to the end of the service. I don't know uh, how this message has intersected with the needs of your life today. But if you're without Jesus Christ, I want to commend him to you. He's an awesome God and a wonderful Savior. And the gospel is this, that if, if we come to believe what, what God has done through Jesus Christ seeing him as the sinless son of God who lived a sinless life, dying on the cross, paying in in his death on the cross a payment for our sins that we might be forgiven and received by God. And he was placed in a tomb and three days later he rose from the dead. And that becomes the center of the believer's life. Christ who is our life. But maybe he's not the center of your life. The Bible says if you will turn from your sins right now, that means whatever you're trusting in, you're done with sinning. I thought you just said Christian sin. Well, yeah, that, we have to deal with that. But I'm talking about initial break with your past, coming to terms with what God has done through Jesus Christ. If you would turn from your sins and as it brings you face to face with him, seeing him on the cross and rising from the dead, if you would receive him by faith. Lord, come into my life. Save me from my sins. Cleanse me by your grace and help me to walk in newness of life. He will come to you. He will save you now. That's the gospel we believe. That's the gospel we preach. And it's news for you. It's good news for you. If you'll receive it. How do I move forward with that? Need someone to pray with you? I'd be glad to pray with you this morning. We can, we can work that out real quickly. Our elders are here, always here, willing to meet and to pray and to help. Maybe you're uh, in one of those valleys right now and you're dealing with some sin and Romans 7 is so alive to you. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Go and sin no more. Begin again in his grace. Don't allow him to keep you down. Remember the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ. And that victory is not that we will never sin again. That victory is that sin's not gonna keep us down again. We're, we're, on, we're running the race. Let's get back into it. I'd like to do something different this morning for our responding in faith. I'd like um, Nell or John, if you would go to the piano and I just want us to stand. And as they play, 
If there are needs on your heart this morning, you want to come here and kneel at the altar and um, pray. If you need someone to meet with you and talk with you, we can set up a time this week to have a meaningful conversation of what the gospel means and how Jesus Christ can be the Lord of your life. Maybe you're dealing with deep sorrows and struggles. He will come. Call out to him right now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.